Today I want to kind of walk you through maybe an angle on Christmas that maybe you haven't really thought of before. I want to talk to you about Mary and Joseph. You know, um, we, we celebrate Christmas at this time of the year, and in our early church history, we didn't really know when Jesus was born. We knew where, and we knew how, but we didn't know when. And so what we did was there's this pagan holiday right around this time of the year that we picked up on as Christ followers, and we said, hey, we're going to have a couple of days off anyway, so let's just turn it into something really good, and we'll celebrate Jesus' birth. So for all of you who believe that Jesus is born on December 25th, I hate to bust your bubble, but I'm going to anyway, because I want you to think in real terms, we're here to celebrate Jesus, not a day. And so, I mean, if you want to celebrate Jesus' birthday on your birthday, praise the Lord, do it. That'd be awesome. And we'll come and join you. Um, Here's what's happened, though, with, with Christmas. Ever since we have brought Christ into a celebration package, people have been trying to take him out of Christmas. So they called it Xmas. You've heard that, right? Well, that's, that's totally, they've missed the point because that's the Greek understanding for Christ is the X. Is that, so it's kind of like, oops, we messed that one up. So they, they didn't get that one right, so what did they do? They went on to say, well, happy holidays. Yeah, like there's a lot of holidays going on during the month of December. Well, actually, I went on the Internet because it's always truthful. And I looked up and see what holidays there are in December. So hang on, there's a few. You're, I hope you're gonna, there's a couple of them I really like. You might like them too. Okay, so here's, here's the, on Decep, December 2nd, you'll have to mark this in your calendar for next year. It is called Fritter Day. Who doesn't love a good fritter? I love fritters. I can go for Fritter Day. So that's a good one. On December 5th, it's National Ninja Day. Some of you are saying, I didn't see that coming. Well, of course you didn't. It's Ninja Day. If you saw it coming, it wouldn't be Ninja Day. All right, here's one for I think most of us really would love. Uh, I hope it gets a lot more traction next year. It's called uh, National Chocolate-Covered Anything Day. Is there an amen on that? All right. And you know what? If the thing you put in your mouth you don't like, Suck the chocolate off and spit it in the garbage. Who cares? You got the chocolate part. All right? So I hope that gets a little more traction for next year, and we'll celebrate that and go on. Here's one for, um, I think, some of our resident um, home DYI kind of people. It's um, National Wear a Plunger on Your Head Day, December 18th. It's tomorrow. Oh, by the way, the 16th, you've missed the chocolate one. I knew about it, so I celebrated on the 16th. All the chocolate. Um, For some of you who are kind of uh, Seinfeld fans and remember that one, it's Festivus. Yep, right, December 23rd. Yep. And then um, the, the pagan day that everybody was, that this whole thing was situated around, and you're wondering who's celebrating that pagan holiday, Saturnella. Um, those people 
they went down and they were at Red Box. There were like five of them in this town. And they saw the Twilight Saga. And so they're spending the whole month watching Twilight instead of celebrating. So that's what pagan celebration is all about for them. But when it comes to the story of Christmas, what we, you know, I think a lot of people really like, Jesse, just turn the lights down just for a second. Here are the big lights. They don't need to see me just for a second. We're going to get them down, way down, way down, way down. Oh, look at that ambiance. It makes you kind of feel warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? And we got baby Jesus. He's in his manger up here, crib. And, you know, it's, it just makes us feel good. And that's in the night sky. You can turn the lights back up, Jesse. Thanks. Uh, we like the bright stars. We like the fact that the, the angel came and had a conversation with the shepherds. And, and we get all this joy stuff going on in our life. And it's just really awesome. And I think that's the way it should be. But I also think that there's a part of Christmas that sometimes we don't really recognize or realize is going on. And so this morning, I want to draw our attention to that. Before we get into that, let me pray with us and for us as we step into this. Our Father, this morning, we thank you for our kids uh, and just the joy they bring to us. The fact that they got up and they sang some songs and said uh, had their lines that they read to us reminded us of all the things about Christmas that we love, the innocence of Christmas we pray that you would bless our children today and their parents. Encourage their hearts with who Jesus is. We pray that you would take what we look at just over the next few minutes here now. And as we talk about Mary and Joseph, we pray that you would infuse in our hearts and our minds what it is you would have us to learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 18. And we're talking about Mary and Joseph because they're kind of, you know, The main character is Jesus. But you can't have the main character without the supporting cast of Mary and Joseph. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And so Matthew 1, starting with verse 18, here's what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now let me just stop there. I'm just going to stop real quick. We're going to park here just for a second because there are a lot of stories that have been written recently about Jesus. And many of them, if not most of them, are just wrong. The stories people make up about Jesus, they're just wrong. Some educated, someone educated beyond their intelligence with more degrees than Fahrenheit wrote some kind of fictitious book about Jesus' birth or his death or the fact that he got married and ran off to France with Mary Magdalene. Something stupid like that. And and it's crazy and people buy this stuff because these pot-smoking guys are just making their own conjectures about who Jesus is and what he did, and it's nothing even close to the truth. It's just a pack of lies, but because it's about Jesus and it's not the biblical narrative, it sells. And and the media likes to trump it up because, hey, look, we got this new thing about Jesus. Well, it's nothing new. It's just a bunch of hogwash. And so it's just craziness about Jesus. But here's what the Bible says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. Not a whole bunch of different ways or other ways. This way. It took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack this. As I said, we're going to look at Mary first. And 
And by the way, Mary was probably a teenager. How many teenage, 12, 12 to 15-year-old girls? Just put your hand up if you're 12 to 15-year-old girls. No, you're not, Jen. All right. So just think about this. You're a teenager, and you just found out that you're going to have a baby. But it's not just a baby. It's the Son of God. And everybody goes, yeah, you know, I'm ready to raise the perfect child. Uh, Probably not. Um, You know, and, and when we look at it, when we think about this, Mary, she's somewhere between 13 and probably 20s, and some of you are going like, wait a minute, 12 or 13 years old? That's just wrong. That's just ain't right. There's something really, we think there's something seriously wrong about that picture of a 12-year-old betrothed to be married, and we go like, there's something that's just not right. Because in our culture today, you, you know, you're, you get engaged, if you get engaged, you get engaged somewhere between 27 and 32. Because we have to kind of figure it out. And there are some people, once they get engaged, I mean, I, this one couple I knew, they were engaged for like seven years. They got married, and within a year of being married, they were divorced. It's ridiculous. And so when we talk about the 12, 13-year-old who's getting ready to be married, some of you are going like, that's just a little bit creepy. That's just a little bit weird. Well, here's what I have to say to you. Maybe you're just irresponsible and immature to handle that. It's just something for you to consider. I'm just throwing it out as a possibility for your prayerful consideration. And you're welcome. Some of the people that came for the little kids program are going like, is this way it's going to be the whole time? I probably shouldn't have come. Well, you did, so you're here. Maybe you'll get saved. Who knows? So she's a young gal. She's probably, let me fix this for you. She's probably in her 20s. That makes you feel better. There you go. She's probably in her 20s. She lives in a small rural town. And, and the, it, the way we know it's a small town is, well, we actually know where the town is. But it has one well. One well is where the women would go to get the water. And one well will support somewhere between 50 and 200 people. Small rural town. The women go out to get the water. The men, it's a poor town. It's a poor place where they live. And, and their homes, probably, uh, this would be a large, this stage would be a large home uh, in their little community. And then they would have a little part of it sectioned off where they would keep the livestock, the cows, the chickens, the sheep, Maybe a goat, no pigs, because they're Jewish. That would be wrong. Not kosher, so no pigs, okay? And so they'd have, this is what their home looks like, in this humble circumstances. And so what Mary does, because she's older now, she's probably one of the oldest in her family, she's going to the well to get water for her mom. That's her job. But she's coming up because she's been betrothed to Joseph, so she's coming up on her big day. Now, betrothed to be married. We don't hear that word. In our culture, it's, it's a foreign word in our language today. So we really don't understand what it means. So let me help you understand what it means. It's somewhere between engagement in our culture and marriage. But it's more legally binding than engagement. But it's not legally fulfilled 
as in a consummated marriage. Now, if you don't know, if you don't know what consummated means, ask your wife. She'll tell you. Actually, let me help you out because I already see that there's some thoughts going on about maybe when you thought you consummated your marriage. I'm going to help you understand this. Consummated means complete and perfected. That's what the word means. Okay, so whatever thought you just had in your mind about your wedding night, forget it. It's complete and perfected because, okay, I'll get that to the end. I'll leave, just hang on to that for a little bit, okay? And so what we have is we have this, this um, according to the Bible, marriage is two things. It's a covenant and it's consummation. Betrothal season is where you are covenanted to one another. It's a legal and binding thing, but you are not consummated in marriage. And it was a legal state of marriage where you were legally married, but had not yet finished the marriage proceedings to where you had the marriage ceremony and you consummated your marriage when you lived together as husband and wife. It was legally binding. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph. So they're in this this legal place, and they're considered married, but not fully perfected marriage. And now Joseph, he's a young guy, and he's in his late teens, early 20s as well. And and the odds are good that these two, because they live in a small town, and they know each other. They know each other's families. They've grown up with each other. I'm sure at some point when Joseph was probably around 12, 13, or 14, he probably looked at Mary, and he went like, you know what? That's the one right there. She's the girl for me. I think she's the one that we're going, we are, and, and I'm sure that they, it wasn't just kind of a surprise to Mary when Joseph went to her parents and said, look, I would like to betroth myself and your, have your daughter betrothed to me in marriage and, and we would, you know, husband and wife and we're going to meet in a, in a home together. That's what we want to do. But I don't think it was a surprise to Mary because they've been going to the synagogue together. They've been worshiping God together. They've been reading scripture in the same room. Where they're, they're with their families, but they're at the same place. And, and they're good Jewish kids. And so they've been following God. They've been listening to the words of God. They've been understanding Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. They understand the prophets. They sing the Psalms together in the synagogue. And so they're growing up together. Not a lot of kids in this town. And so they know each other quite well. And I'm sure... Joseph, at one point, like all of us guys, went like, I need to marry up. Some of you guys married up, and some of you guys married out of your league. Turn to your wife right now and just say, thank you for having pity on me. Now, that wasn't just a request. You should do it. All right, save it till you get home. That's all right. She'll remind you when you get home, by the way. And once again, you're welcome. So they've known each other for a long time, and Mary and Joseph, and so here's the big thing is, is that, that they've, they're betrothed to each other. They've got this legal engagement going on. And the, big, the, the consummation 
is on the horizon. They know there's the day coming. They're going to get married. So they're putting all the wedding plans together. It's going to be a joyful season. They're, they're planning everything. And it means that their covenant, in one, in, in one sense, their covenant is going to be made complete. It will be perfected when the wedding, the wedding comes. They have the ceremony, the celebration for a week, and then they have the consummation. Now let me just say a little bit. I want to take a little side trip here about Mary. Because Mary's a pretty amazing woman when you take a look at who she is and what she's done. But in, in our realm of uh, Christendom, we have two groups of people. There's one group that makes too much of Mary and there's another group that doesn't make enough of Mary. The group that makes too much of Mary, and, and I have good Catholic friends here that are recovering Catholics, by the way, the Catholics seem to make too much of Mary. I grew up with some, my best friend in, in uh, elementary school on, on up into high school, Chris Biencourt. He was Catholic, and he went to catechism in the middle of class. He'd get up. I don't know what it was. I kind of thought, man, that's cheating. They get to skip school and go to church school, catechism. And so once a week, he'd go to catechism, and, and I would hear him oftentimes when I'd go to his house Hail Mary, mother full of grace, right? And, and if you're a Catholic, you know where to go from there. Uh, I went to Catholic churches. I've been to Catholic churches a lot when, from when I was a kid all the way through college because we had to visit there and do reports on Catholicism. And I've been there since... Uh, matter of fact, one time I was invited to preach at a huge Catholic church in Canada. I, it was crazy. I preached the last station of the stations of the cross. And, and, and the thing about it is the priest that invited me to do this, he and I had a conversation. That man was born again. He was a Jesus follower, Christ-loving father of a church. And there are a lot of... Listen, some of you might think that Catholics aren't going to go to heaven. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. There's a lot of Catholics that are going to end up sitting around the throne and sitting at the Lamb's table with us celebrating. Just like there's a lot of Protestants who are going to be goats and they're going to be shipped off the other way. They're going to be loaded up into a trailer and taken to Riverton. <laughs> Protestants. So I'm just saying that the Catholics have made too much of her. They have statues of her. She's exalted and put into a high place and worshipped. And that's too much. There have been popes that have called her the co-mediator or the co-redemptress. Co-redemptress means that she aids in the process of salvation along with Jesus. Co-mediator means that she helps between mediating between us and God. And in 1 Timothy, Paul said that there's only one mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus, and there's no footnote on there that says, and his mom. It doesn't say that anywhere. It's only Jesus. Now, that being said, Protestants, especially Baptists, they make too little of Mary. Because what, what they do is they go like, Mary, oh, we don't want to talk about Mary. That's a Catholic thing. Oh, we don't want to get caught up in that. But I'm going to tell you that, that Mary's in the Bible, amen? That's right. And she's an amazing woman. She's presented arguably as the most godly woman in all of the Bible and maybe even the most godly person next to Jesus throughout all of Scripture. She is godly from beginning to end. There are stories in the Bible like, like women of like Esther or Ruth or Rahab. They were not godly women 
when they started, but they became godly women. The portrait that we have of Mary is that she was a godly little girl. She grew up to be a godly young woman and a godly older woman. There is no indication of rebellion or unbelief. I mean, she is presented in the most godly, encouraging, exemplary way in the Bible. You won't find anybody else like her, so we should probably pay a little more attention to her in the Protestant church. Now, I think, and this is what I really believe, and and by the way, a a bunch of this stuff I got from um, Matt Chandler. He did an amazing job on this particular subject. I believe that Mary is more timely than ever before for women, especially young women and particularly single women because she lives a life of holiness and chastity before marriage and fidelity in marriage. She's an amazing, amazing woman. And I think Martin Luther was onto something when he said, Mary should be and should not be our object of faith, but rather our example of faith. She's not our object of faith because only Jesus can be our object of faith. But she can certainly be our example of faith. She was a woman of great faith. And you'll see that as the story unfolds in Matthew and in Mar- or Luke, and I encourage you before next Sunday to read through those stories to get your heart set on who um, Mary and Joseph really are, that you would be encouraged to see their lives. And here's what she wasn't doing. She wasn't using her single years as an excuse to drink, to date losers, to sleep around, to live with her boyfriend, or to rack up credit card debt and do things that were dishonoring to God. She's a great example instead. She spent her life preparing for a future that she was unaware of. Do you get that? God found favor with her, great favor with Mary. She wasn't going like, hey, I have a thought in my mind. Maybe God will use me someday, so I better start getting ready for what God wants to do. No, that was her entire life, her entire, from when she was a little girl, when she could start to understand the things of God, she started reading Scripture, she started studying Scripture, she spent her time worshiping God. She, as a little girl, had a heart affection, deep heart affection for God, unlike anybody else, because we know that, Because in Luke and in Matthew, it says that God found great favor with her and chose her from all the women in Israel. She's the one at that time or any other time that will meet God's desire to be the woman who would raise his son. She's amazing. Here's the thing. But she wasn't aware of her appointed position to be the mother of God on earth. She had no idea what was coming. So here's a question for all of us, particularly for you young women, especially single women. And again, I would say for, the, for those single women here, those and those younger women, women like my 25-year-old daughter, my hope, my prayer, my father's affection for you is to, by the grace of God, follow the example of Mary in your life. I mean, it is so incredible what God God will do with someone whose heart 
is set on him. And by the way, if you've sinned and you've done things you regret, her son, he forgives. Her son, he cleanses. Her son, he will help you to be like her. By the grace of God. Mary, she's an amazing woman. She's done such amazing things. But here's my question. Back to the question I had for all of us. And specifically for the women. Are you preparing today for whatever God may have for you for tomorrow? Are you preparing, even though you don't know what it is, are you preparing for God to do something through you and in you today, even though you don't know what it might be tomorrow? You know, when Mary realizes, oh, man, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God. He's going to be called Jesus. He is the Christ. It's not like she uh, started to obey God. She didn't start worshiping God at that moment. She'd been doing this her whole life. It was nothing out of the ordinary or the norm for her. That's who she was. And every indication is that she was a godly woman from her youth until she died. Now let me say this to all of us. None of us. We have no idea what tomorrow holds for us. But here's the thing. We need to prepare ourselves today for whatever tomorrow might bring. She was worshiping God. She was studying Scripture. She was obeying the Lord. She was maintaining chastity. And and here's what I think she probably thought. I'm going to use a little um, holy imagination, if you will allow. Here's her thoughts. Well, I'm going to marry Joseph. We're not going to be rich. We're not going to be wealthy. We'll probably be poor. We'll live in obscurity in this small rural town. I'll stay home with the kids, fetch the water from the well. He's going to be a carpenter, working hard to put food on the table. Nobody's ever going to know anything about us except our families. We're going to live in the middle of nowhere, and we don't have to worry about anything except trusting the Lord. But here's the deal. She prepared herself for whatever God might have for her. Here's the problem that we face is that some of us are just waiting for God to reveal the future so that we can then be motivated to prepare for it. That's not how he works. It requires faith to walk with God. Prepare yourself by the grace of God to be godly. And then whatever the future holds, you'll be ready for it. Amen? Joseph, let's look at him because Joseph is Jesus' earthly father. And, and here's what, we, we got Mary, she's, she's a, an incredible woman. And now we have Joseph, and, and so verses 19 through 20. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, that means he's a good man, a godly man, a noble man, a humble man, a spirit-filled man. He's a loving man, he's a kind man, he's a faithful man. He's the kind of man you want your sons to be like. He's the kind of man you want your daughters to marry. Joseph is the man that every man wants to emulate because he's such a great, godly man. He's awesome. It only makes sense. Mary's not going to say yes to a loser. She's looking for someone who can lead her spiritually. So if Mary's here, 
Joseph, at the very least, has to be here. Because Mary understands that she needs to have someone who can help her grow in her relationship with God. And so she's looking around in her little town, and she's going, who are the godly men around here? And she's looking, and she says, I have known that, that Joseph from when he was a little boy. We played out in the, in the playground together. We threw rocks at each other. That's how we know we really loved each other. He's a, he's a godly man. He knows what it means to worship. He knows what it means to follow. He knows what it means to lead. That's the man I want. That's who I'm going to be. And it says, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. We'll unpack that in just a second. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So here's the situation. Joseph worked hard to prepare himself for marriage because marriage, according to the Bible, is for men, not boys. And the thing about it is that means he has to take a job. He has to get a real job where he can support himself and the family. That means that he's moved out of his mom and dad's house and he's left his Nintendo behind for the other brothers and sisters to play on. He's not goofing around. This means that he's taking responsibility for himself. He's paying his bills. He's setting up a shop. He's, he's got a job and a business, and he's serious about it. It means that he's taking this responsibility for himself and somebody else seriously. He's worshiping God. He's paying his bills. He's living his life. Even though he's a young man, he's a grown man. And what makes it all more impressive is he's somewhere between 18 and 20 years old. Problem is, is that in our society today, it seems like the 18 to 20 year olds are putting a pause button on becoming men. I gave a little lecture to a friend of my daughter I'm not going to tell you which daughter it was. She lives in Texas, and she's 25. And her dog, Max, lives at my house for three years. So her friend and I were having a conversation, and I was talking to him about the, the position of, of how God created us and what God expects from us and what he wants from us as men because we're boys we start off as little boys and we had these cute little boys up here I, I, especially the dog he was, he was awesome they never had a costume like that for me when I was doing this stuff I had to be the angel behold um, anyway so I'm having this conversation with this fella and I said you know you're a little boy and you're a boy you're just a boy there's a point, though, like somewhere around 13 or 14, that you are a boy moving towards manhood. You're a boy man. Boy man. And so you're moving towards becoming more of a man and less of a boy. Boy man, boy man, boy man. Somewhere around 20 to 23, you should be becoming a man man. The problem is, is that most of what we've got today are we've got these guys who have men's bodies but they still act like junior high boys. So they're now really a man boy. And there isn't a woman on the planet that wants to marry a man boy. 
They're not interested. They want a man's man. And a man's man isn't somebody who's big, tough, and, and strong. It's a man's man is the one who says, I rely upon God to give me direction for every aspect of my life and my day. I am going to live to fulfill God's commands. That's man, man. Girls, if you are single and you're wondering, who should I marry someday? Don't settle for a man boy. Get a man, man. Your father-in-law, your father will be happy because the worst thing in the world is for a father having to wipe the nose of his son-in-law. As he is, ain't right. No, I'm not speaking from experience. My experience, I'm speaking from other people's experience. So, you know, here's the thing about Joseph. He's not freeloading off his parents. He's not looking for a good time. He's setting out to make a legacy with his life, with his family. He's looking for a wife, not just a date. He's, he's looking for a family, not just pleasure. That's a man-man. That's a holy man of God. And this young man's taken upon great responsibility. He is just, this is him. His heart was inclined towards Mary. And, and perhaps one of the greatest motivations he had to grow up and become a mature man was the fact that he was going like, the sooner I can marry her, the longer I get to spend with her as husband and wife. That was his motivation. I want to spend as much time together with her as I can because she's a godly woman and we are going to raise a godly family. And so, you know, they have this legal covenant together as husband and wife. There's a date set for the wedding and everybody knows the wedding is coming. It's a small town. It's not like you can hide it. We're talking maximum 200 people. Everybody knows when there's a wedding because everybody's going to be invited. So Mary's making all the preparations and and, and a celebration, and they're getting everything all moving in the right direction. Because it's the most hopeful season of this young couple's life for Mary and Joseph. And then Joseph gets the most devastating news ever. She's pregnant. Here's Joseph. What? Mary? Mary's pregnant? I see her singing to the Lord every Sabbath. She memorizes huge sections of Scripture. I thought she was the godliest girl I'd ever met. I've been praying and waiting and striving for years. She's pregnant? I'm still a virgin. I haven't laid my hands on that woman. And yet, and we have not yet consummated our covenant. And she's pregnant? That can only mean one of two things, right? Number one, that she's gone off and monkeyed around with somebody else. That's called adultery. In this situation, it's adultery because they are covenanted together. It's a legal binding thing, so that's adultery. And Joseph's mind is exploding because it's going to be a scandalous and devastating thing that's going to take place in this small Jewish community. So what's Joseph going to do? Hey, fellas, what would you do? What would you do if just months before you're going to be getting married, all of a sudden your girlfriend comes and says, hey, by the way, dude, I'm pregnant. And you're going, whoa, not by me or not. Can you just imagine what's going to happen? Because they're covenanted together, so you have to cancel the betrothal season 
nullify the forthcoming wedding. It actually requires legal action and divorce. So here's what it looked like for Joseph. Joseph is looking at being divorced before he's completely married. And some of you guys thought you had it hard in your marriage. So what's Joseph going to do? He decides, here's what he decides to do. And he does this because he's a godly man and a humble man and an honorable man. He doesn't want to be with her, but he doesn't want to destroy her. He doesn't want to be with her, but he doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want to be with her, but he doesn't want to punish her. You, you see what, I, what he's doing, guys? He's not getting vengeance. He's not ruining her reputation. He, even though he doesn't want to marry her because she's pregnant, means somebody else's baby, she, he absolutely is going to take the high road because he is a godly man. That's what godly men do. So here's what happens. Joseph, he goes to bed. He's probably... I can't imagine that he wouldn't have stained his pillow with tears as he laid down to go to sleep. And the Bible says that an angel showed up and spoke to him during his dream, told him what was about to happen with the conception and birth of Jesus because it was from the Holy Spirit. She'd already told him that, but he didn't believe her. So what did God do? God says, hey, we got to go down there We've got to have a visit with Joseph. So he sends one of his angels. By the way, an angel, they have one of two jobs. They're either messengers for God, and they go and deliver messages, or they minister to and for God. And so this is a messenger angel who comes and gives a message to, to Joseph. And the angel explained to Joseph that the Holy Spirit, that God himself, had done a miraculous supernatural thing. The laws of nature are in pencil when it comes to God, not a pen. When God shows up, he can do things that otherwise cannot be done. And that's why we believe, isn't it? Isn't it that we believe in God and we trust Jesus as our Savior for all the supernatural things he's going to do? And the first supernatural thing he did in your life and in my life is he took your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. That's the most supernatural thing God could do. And after that, he does other things. That's why we believe that he will give sight to the blind. He will take the deaf and give them hearing. He will heal the knees. He will make people well. He will restore marriages. All those things are supernatural. And so God shows up through the angel and he says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because I have planted that seed in her. What she carries is from God. It will be the Son of God, and you will call him Jesus. So let's look at what verses 21 through 25. The angel says, here's the message this angel gives to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to the son, and they called his name Jesus. Here's what just happened. It happened with with Mary, and it just happened with Joseph. Mary thinks she's going to live in obscurity. She thinks she's going to grow up and go and get water from the well. She's going to live in a poor home. They're going to worship God. They're going to love God. Nothing ever crazy is ever going to happen. And God rewrites the script of her life and hands her a new script that shakes her world. Because you're going to get pregnant, but you will still be a virgin. And she's like, okay, if that's what you say, God, I'm going to follow your script. And then in a dream, God rewrites the script for Joseph. Because I'll tell you, any guy that's getting married has already written the script of his life. He's already written it and said, we're going to get married. We're going to wait these many years before we have kids. We're going to have these many kids. I'm going to get promoted. I'm going to make this much money. We're going to work our lives. We're going to have a family together. We're going to raise our kids up to love Jesus. After they've loved Jesus, we're going to marry them off to other godly people. And so a, a man writes the script of his life, and he has it laid out all the way down. And that's probably what Joseph did. And at the end of all of his script writing of his own, God came in and in a dream rewrote his script and said, here's a new script. Most of the time, the script that we have written for our future, for our family, is different from the script that what God will write in hand to us. And you're going to have a decision to make, especially you men. You have a decision to make. Will you take the script that God has written for you? Will you read it and then follow it? Or are you going to hand it back to God and go, I'm writing my own script. And by the way, it doesn't include this woman or those kids. I'm writing my own script with somebody else. I'm just going to say to you this morning that if God hands you a script that is different than the one that you've written, you best go with his script, not your own. Here's kind of the thing that is interesting about all of this with Joseph. Because if it was kind of like in today's thing, Joseph would have met with his life coach. And his life coach would have said, so tell me your life plan. What do you have planned out for the next seven years, Joseph? Let's get this down on paper. And, and what, are the, what are the areas of how much money you want to put aside for retirement, you know, and you've got a 401K and, and all the rest of these things. You need to invest in a little bit of something over here, and we're going to work out your life script for you. By the way, you know, it's best to only have uh, uh, 2.5 kids because that's all you're going to really be able to afford. God handed him a different script and he picked it up. And he did what God asked him to do with that script. Let me ask you this question. Because I believe it's true right now, even in this room with with you. God has rewritten your life script. He has given you a new script. It's in your hands. What are you going to do with that life script? What's that life script say to you? Have you taken it and just kind of gone like, I can't do that. 
You know, there are some of you single guys in here. Maybe the life script God's putting on your plate in your hand says, single mom. Marry a single mom. And you're like, I can't do that. Let me tell you why. If God poked you in the heart and said, you're supposed to, and you're struggling with that, the reason you have that assignment from God is because he trusts you enough to pick up that assignment and follow through on it. Some of you guys might be going like, I'm in a marriage right now that I never signed up for. Well, of course you never signed up for it. God signed you up for it, idiot. Get a grip. Grow up. This is a life script God gave you. The reason he gave you this life script is because you're the one that he chose to step into this to be a man, man, who follows God, who follows God's plan, who leads his family spiritually. Pick up the life script. Go with what God's given you. Your life will never be more meaningful until you do that. Listen, if you are writing your own life script right now, you better be writing it in pencil. Because God's going to come along with an eraser and he is going to change the way it looks. I can guarantee you that. Fifteen years ago, God changed my life script. And I moved to Lander. I thought I'd be here five or six years and then move on. God's life script is crazy. And so we're sticking with it. Here's what I want you to know. Sometimes God sends the best man to do the toughest job on the toughest mission, the toughest assignment. But maybe you feel like God's given you a difficult family. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that he has in any way given you a burden. Because what he has given, he will give you ability to do. He doesn't leave you hanging. He has blessed you with a tremendous opportunity. And I appreciate that Joseph received it in that way. He doesn't say a lot. He just does a lot. That's Joseph. He's a quiet man, but what he does speaks volumes for his Father in heaven. Here's where we're at this morning. Everyone in this room, you have been called by God. That calling will never change. You will always be his child, his son, his daughter. That calling, God, will never change in your life. But what he will do is he will give you a new assignment. Your assignment might change. Your script is going to change. And it's going to look different. It's going to look different than what you thought it would look like. But what God says, do you trust me enough? Do you trust me enough to follow the script that I'm writing for you right now? And if you do, if you pick up God's script and you start to lead your family the way God is calling you to lead your family, if you women step up and you start preparing yourself, not for today, but for tomorrow's assignment that God is going to write into your life, God has got a script for your life. Whether you are a man or whether you are a woman, God has a script for your life. Like Mary and Joseph, it turned their lives around. They became the mom and dad of the Son of God and raised him as God called them to. And you know what? They went from obscurity to the most famous couple on the planet.
So what's the assignment that you've received for you and for your family? What has God entrusted to you? Don't run from it. Step into it. Pick it up this Christmas. Read the script to your family. And as a family, trust Jesus to take you to the place he wants you to go. Amen? Amen. Our Father, thank you that you write scripts for us. You don't change your calling in our life, but you do change the assignment. And I pray this morning that we would, we would look with eyes to behold the script that you've written for us, that we would have ears to hear the script that you have for us, that we would be looking with anticipation at the assignment you've placed before us, and then that we would step into that assignment. And as we do, our souls would magnify you, O oh God, that we would find joy in, in picking up what you have laid at us at our feet and said, here is the vision I have for you and your family. And that together we will step into it. That we will trust you to fulfill what you said you would do in our lives. And we would keep our focus on you. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.